Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xenothesis podcast. My name is Richard Acton. Uh, this episode, episode 19, we're covering chapters 1 and 2 from part 4, Training Ground, of Book 1, Dawn of Octavia Butler's Xenogenesis Trilogy. I'm joined, as always, in this jungle by my co-host. Michael Glinka. Hi, everyone. I mean, just this, this was, your intro was just asking for me to sing Welcome to the Jungle, but it took everything <laughs> in me to, not to do it. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, well, yes, uh, uh, we're in the jungle this time, right? Or in the simulated jungle. Uh, yeah. Apparently a very realistically simulated jungle. Yeah, it seems like to be completely like, you know, with everything. Like, it's it's perfect. Uh, it, it's so, I think, in those two chapters, it's so perfectly mimicking it that people are still not believing that they are on a ship. Which is impressive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To be honest, when the, in the book they were describing about like you no know, clouds and everything, like the environment, you know, it's they had to like really Don Kali really did great job on like stimulate like um, manipulating the environment to 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 mimic uh, you know cloud making. You know, it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I say having something that I mean, either being like a large enough space that they can actually have like a microclimate or having some other way of simulating the weather the ship is basically uh, farting is... clouds <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and also i mean just having like a having a convincing sky that's a pretty big yeah, that's difficult and there's some sfx guys are like impressed can you can you imagine like if it's like the say it's like the guy who has to paint Golden Bridge, like that they have to paint it and once they finish they have to start again because by the time <laughs> they finish it takes like them I don't know three years or something they have to just start again same in here like this one on Kali that basically nobody likes and just goes painting the sky because you no know, it's <laughs> by the time he finishes gets the end he needs to start again. Nah, they probably just you know talk to the ship and it does it. Ah. Uh. I would do that. I would be like, nobody like just yeah, you go paint that, and it'll take you like several years, and you start again. Got one of those um, fancy. Um, how what do they call it? The 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 new sets that Disney's been using with like the the screen behind. Um, so instead of doing green screen, they have like a giant screen in the background. They'll be doing this for the Mandalorian and a bunch of their new stuff. It's uh, I forgot what it's called. What do you mean? Like like a. Like, no, 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 you said not green screen, so it's something they else. They have like a, a panoramic projection of the background they want in the shot, and they just shoot in that space. Oh, really? Wow, okay. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I need to look into that then, because um, well, I guess it makes sense that probably some of the scenes were recorded in uh, some, um, some like uh, in-house, in but I thought it was like mostly, if, if anything, a green screen, but... Yeah, I think that's how they give it kind of, um, and it hasn't a sort of added verisimilitude that you don't really get from green screen. There's a certain depth to it, especially as they do a lot of physical effects. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Now we're getting sidetracked. Yeah, I mean, even, we didn't even start really getting sidetracked. Yes, let's uh, <laughs> let's go back. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, let's do your your predictions. Sure. For, so for the first chapter of the new part. Sure. So I have chapter one prediction was that. We are back into the training room and where Lilith have spent her, well, I think, like around a year of her life and uh, before. And I think that in first chapter, it will just sort of 
walk us through the plan, like what plans, the things that Onkali are planning to teach the humans and sort of like the discussion of like, you know, oh, you know, they will still think they're like on Earth, they'll try to escape. So this sort of like, you know, planning and conversation, I guess, uh, either between humans or the or maybe Lilith and uh, Nikand or something. So, mm-hmm. okay, uh, we didn't get much by way of humans planning just yet. I think no, a bit more, not yet. More scene setting. Yeah, I guess before so. we get into that. Yeah, it it, it probably will take a while because this chapter was mostly about the discussion between Lilith and Nikand on the whole idea of. Them, I I think like Lilith predicting that they might actually try escape. But anyway, let's let's get okay. to it. I guess. Yeah, let's start in on the summary. Sure. So chapter one summary. So we start at, with a description of the training area, a contained environment mimicking the tropical conditions on Earth. Um, you know, the book describing it as like area full of lush greens, uh, like trees and bushes, flowing rivers, various flora and fauna with a you know, blue sky, as we said before, with clouds above. Um, mm. Liv also says, you know, there's some few flowers uh, around, but it's basically all green everywhere. Um, mm. And just a side note, Liv said during her first thing that she was uh, told during the training was never to lean against the trees. And here immediately I thought, like, a few examples of, like, um, potential things that actually trees present on the earth that basically if you do that you can get yourself hurt quite badly in fact and i think probably the um most famous example here is the manchineel tree that basically um okay it's it basically if you go underneath it and it's nice and sunny it like releases you know the the vapor from it will like poison you if it's raining it will poison you. If you set it on fire, it will poison you like times 10. <laughs> if, if, like, honestly, the sap of it is like super toxic and okay. it like produces these little tiny green apples and you think about eating one, I mean, that's basically is like bye-bye for you. <laughs> so it's it's like evolution yeah. went crazy on this tree, just said like, you know what? I'm gonna make an asshole tree. <laughs> Yeah, uh, rainforests are pretty crazy ecosystems, right? There's a bunch it's of... It's uh, so incredible, like, honestly. A bunch of crazy chemical warfare going on. It literally is chemical warfare. It's a really well-described, mm. very good spot-on description of what's going on in there. Uh, luckily, apparently, that tree is not that common. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> gladly. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, mm. you can't really get rid of it in any way. Yeah, that'd be difficult. For not leaning against them, there's a few other ones that are just like you know spiny, in a impressively spiny fashion. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in general, like I guess I remember watching um documentary basically saying that you, for example, if you're walking through a jungle, you should never step on top of like fallen trees because they may look sturdy, but like you have to be careful because they might be actually really rotten and if your foot goes down it can you know you can hurt yourself and then infection Mm. go through because it's like all the bacteria and everything just you know festering Mm. in it and then basically you're you'll get you know infection in the wind and then die basically yeah well it's a 
before antibiotics infections were seriously dangerous right? yeah and that the, the first guy they ever treated with penicillin was in hospital with a serious infection because he was pricked by a rose really yeah he, wow. he had a rose prick um and he was dying of this infection that had resulted from it and actually he, he still died because they didn't have enough penicillin to finish the course of treatment but uh yeah that was the first like successful demonstration of a uh, of penicillin was in this guy uh, and it was only partially successful damn wow <laughs> finally like you know a innovation of the you know of humanity coming up with my first antibiotic and then not being a, not still it not working because not enough dose yeah back in the early days they had very difficult a lot of difficulty producing the stuff yeah it was the the trouble it was very inefficient <clears throat> uh, i went to the the americans and used a bunch of some kind of corn derivative i can't remember to like grow a bunch of it in vats <laughs> i see the penicillin uh mold you mean and then just extract yeah, yeah. the compound out of it mm. yeah i mean they started out like growing it in some less efficient growth medium in like bed pans and sort of like skimming it off the top and they, they kind of eventually figured out how to industrialize the process in collaboration with some american firms i see yeah. Now it's really interesting how you know the progress. You know, start with like you know a petri dish, and then you go like you know sort of like beds or whatever, and then suddenly you like you have vats of it being produced, um, mass produced. Yeah, the scaling up was a was a big deal. Yeah, but mm. I need to say it. I just I just had this random thought that that tank, that vat where the penicillin is made, must be mm -hmm. probably the most sterile vat. In existence, like basically nothing can grow in there unless somebody introduces some antibiotic resistant bacteria, but it has to be super like Mwah. you can touch <laughs> it, and be like, Yeah, it doesn't matter because you know it's all penicillin. Uh, yeah, I expect so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they have to be super sterile all the time with those yes. bioreactor things, right? Because there's yeah, yeah. always there's always something that will grow in there and eat whatever it is you're trying to grow and screw things up. Oh, yeah. Hold on, isn't there like I I don't know I I heard the news recently about like the NASA spiders like the the spiders that um are in the um, this uh in space that the one on the what's the name of the the uh, on the ISS yeah yeah on the ISS apparently figure out how to make space webs and I don't know if it's like they brought them purposely huh. or if it's some random spiders that just basically managed to sneak in. And they just, just I assume started... they brought them on purpose. I, I fe it feels to me like I didn't read the, manage to read the article, and I assumed the same. But at the same time, if there is actually a spider sneaking on onto the shuttle and then surviving the journey and then just making a spider weapon there, yeah. that for I mean, me is just incredible. I I went to bed last night and there was a spider on my covers. Eh? Just just waiting about, for yeah, you to be was, like, mm, just Richard, there. come here. Yeah. Let's I'll hug you to you know. I'll tuck no. you into bed <laughs> to sleep. Uh, so I re removed it out to the outside. Oh, how could you? You could have like a nice companion to sleep. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm happy to have them here to eat the bugs, but not if they're going to be in my bed. Thank um, you very much. And then accidentally walk into your mouth and you just... <laughs> and, oh, tasty. Protein. Yeah. Mm. Right, and on that Appa note... Apparently grilled tarantula... <laughs> Is very nice. I 
You know, all those things like a scorpion in chocolate, grilled tarantula, all those things are really cool, but I don't think mm. I would ever want to eat it. So the way they, the way they eat grilled tarantula, though, is they don't... Like, the thing that bugs me is eating them whole with all the chitinous exoskeleton oh. stuff. Like, oh, don't know about that. But oh. they crack open the, the limbs on the tarantula and eat the, like, the white meat from inside. Okay. I'm, I'm a vegetarian, so I probably wouldn't be big on it anyway but like if i was going to be eating insect well not into arachnids if i was going to be eating something in the arthropod group i'd be okay with that more or less <laughs> no. no it's not that different from you know lobsters i and i i don't know <laughs> i'm really <laughs> conflicted in here i honestly i mean i had lobsters before and it's like yeah that's cool but like a tarantula i mean i i do you know like you know those legs are so hairy i mean their bodies like so hairy prickly hair like you know some of the tarantulas mm. use those hairs as like defense mechanism they're like spread them yeah, and it's like so, like mm. like it stings you right i just yeah, cannot yeah. imagine having that in my mouth it's like eating a cactus mm. or something yeah yeah i could see that not being great so I'm just I, like I, I like tarantulas. I think they're cute. Yeah, I, I get. I, you know, I think there's like interesting animal hmm. to like a lot of people like find. It, and I guess like they're really um, when they get used to it and they walk on your hands, like it's pretty cool. But um, yeah, I mean, it's still like you know, it's a massive like animal that basically looks like if you increase its size by I don't know ten times. I would be scared to like. Oh yeah. Ugh. Yeah. But, let, but I mean, you'd be scared of a ten x dog, right? I mean, anything that's <laughs> anything that's bigger than you know above knees is scary. So. Hmm. Uh, yeah, we got sidetracked again. Oh uh, yes, absolutely. Oh my god, Damn this it. episode's <laughs> doing great. Like first fifteen minutes, and we're already so sidetracked. <laughs> right. Back to the summary. Back to the yeah. Back to the future. We are so we are told then that the undergrowth was like thin in the, this whole environment that you could traverse it without any problems except near the rivers, where in some places a machete would be necessary, but that was not permitted. Any tools yet, uh, were not permitted yet, and mm. we're told in the Kanish tells that that because before any tools will be given, the humans need to get used to the environment. And this is where the books goes. It hesitated. Let them settle more firmly into the into their places with their uloi. They can tolerate one another now. Let them learn that it isn't shameful to be together with one another and with us. And the scene then changes to riverbank with few fallen trees and a, a conversation between Liv and Nikan strikes about the fact that some humans will cut the trees down and build boats to um, because they continue thinking they're on Earth. Um, but they can't summarize it by saying simply that there is no way out from for them except the way we offer to learn to feed and shelter themselves in this environment to become self-sustaining when they've done that we'll take them to the earth and let them go um but it feels like hmm. lily feels like that nikanj knows that humans will try to escape but yet it's still talked about mixed human Onkly settlements with mixed children, you know, in them, and um, mm. yeah, and it feels to me that the whole idea is uh, personally, I feel like it's really 
um, I don't know, wishful thinking in some way, especially what we, exp- you know, all this like situations so far in the yeah. cell. Yeah. I mean, although to be honest, it seems like it's kind of an inevitability, right? They might lose a few along the way, but eventually they'll get some, some people who'll go along with this because it's like they, they seem willing to just kind of, you know, lose a few people here and there. Yeah, I mean, although you say that, this is what sort of like, um, is it here maybe, or maybe it's the next chapter, they talk about like, uh, it's it's more, they don't want to lose them because how, li- how little of them there are in terms of humans, hmm. the amount of humans after the, you know, whole like nuclear war. So... Yeah, and that is, um, yeah, it's kind of a weird... Uh, paradoxical state there or contradictory state there because they they do seem uh, that they seem sort of genuinely upset when they lose humans but they also are very determined to have things go exactly this way and seem to be willing to kind of uh, deal with some losses to achieve their their goal yeah so it's kind of a it's 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 a bit contradiction. weird yeah and i feel like mm. it's considering they have so much like skill in genetics they could easily do in vitro fertilization of like some collected oocytes and then just with basically generate their mm. own humans for themselves mm. well, i suppose it's a um a population genetics thing right they want enough variability left yeah and um, also, it said that Nikanj, actually, I think it was Nikanj or Chitaya earlier, that it's about also their culture and um, hmm. them as beings, you know, like self, you know, self-aware beings that they are really attracted to as well. Hmm. Uh, yeah, although that doesn't really seem to square with the way that they've they behave, yeah. handled, yeah, like yeah. the denying them access to the documents of their history and kind of, you know, placing them in environments where they really wouldn't be able to uh, recapitulate any of their original culture yeah so. yeah mm. I, I agree we had this conversation many times before and i i mm. you know this point is always out there um yeah weird contradiction yeah it's really weird and they insist on those ways as well how to, to do it this ways but anyway so we learned that the Onkali human bonding has now subsided, so it's like it's calmed down, and humans tolerate it again uh, one another. But sort of Lilith's like internally, we didn't want to go back to the, to them yet. Although it says that very little drugging was taking place, people like Kurt and Gabriel were still under influence to let them slowly acclimatize, but apparently they were resisting conditioning. Um, the question is whether they were strong or just unable to adapt. And um, Nikan prompts Lilith to come back to the rest of the humans, but as Lilith fi- like finds, you know, this little scene where basically Lilith finds a Liana root to sit on, and then she asks him, uh, "It what will happen to humans that can't adapt?" And Nikan tells her that if they're not violent, they'll be taken to Earth with them. And it's a bit, um, the, the chapter is a bit like jumping around, but basically what happens then is that Nikanj comes around to the buttress, the tree, destroying her sense of solitude and home. This is what the book says. Nothing that looked and moved as Nikanj did uh, could come from home. She got up wearily and walked with it. Have the ants bitten you? It asked. And apparently Nikanj did not like uh, Lilith hide small injuries. Her health was very much better like its business and it would inspect her body to check for any bites to heal her um mm. 
but it's Lilith would prefer that the simulation uh, did not have insects such as mosquitoes presence, which I personally agree. Uh, <laughs> but the Onkali insisted yes. on it. So, hmm. so yeah, this is an interesting. It's a bit of a parallel to the situation on Earth, right? Mosquitoes. Everybody hates We'd them. We'd rather not have them. Yes. <laughs> it's one thing that can be eliminated. But yeah, this chapter, this mm. sort of chapter jumps between the description of the environment. It may be some confusing when I talk about it, but like it jumps between a bit the description of the environment, the Lilith doing something, and the conversation between Nikant and Lilith just taking place in between. So apologies for that, but it basically what's going on. They're talking about the humans while sort of there's the description of the environment. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think that um, it's kind of worth noting on the the fact that they insist on having all these bugs and things present in the simulation may be relevant, right? I mean, I don't know if mosquitoes in particular have any merit whatsoever. None, but, zero, um... <laughs> absolutely null. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, CRISPR gene die- drive those guys out of existence, I think. Yes, sir. Goodbye, mosquitoes. Um, but there's a, there's a cool example of this from um, uh, the Brazil nut tree. Mm-hmm. So the Brazil nut tree requires like several other species in order for it to continue to exist. Uh-huh. Um, so it's just it's a sort of illustration of how interconnected the ecologies are. Yes. Right, so the Brazil tree needs a little mammal that looks kind of like a cross between a rat and a squirrel with like big buck front teeth like a beaver um it's called an agouti uh they need that to break into the shells that contain the brazil nuts okay because basically nothing else will chew through them oh wow okay maybe maybe some monkeys might break them with a rock but that's pretty much the only way they get out of the pods is if the agouti eats them um and ends up you know planting some of the brazil nuts so they need the agouti, otherwise the seeds basically don't get out. But also in order to be pollinated, they need a, one of a very small number of bee species. And like the main pollinator for the Brazil nut tree, um, I forget which way around it is, but one of the sexes pollinates the Brazil tree. And the other one um, pollinates a, um, uh, I forget if it's a, a bromeliad or an orchid, but there's a particular species of flower that lives in the canopy okay um that they need that i think uh, i can't remember if it's for for food or to reproduce but so then in order for the the bees to pollinate the tree they need the flower and in order for the tree to have its seeds they need the agouti so you've got all four of these species in this kind of like uh they all need one another in order to continue to yeah yeah that's awesome yeah, I mean it's 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 always like this when you try to um uh do something to the environment like to to get rid of one thing and suddenly it the environment gets overwhelmed um with other like parts of it like it is perfect example like for example Yellowstone Park when they introduced the wolves right like I think in the year 2000 back again into mm-hmm. the park and suddenly like the number of the, the number of species um the number of um, mooses, I think, or deer populations mm-hmm. dropped down dra- dramatically. That meant that, like, the trees on the riverbanks could grow back again, right? Because there was mm-hmm. not so much grazing on them. Um, that also meant that um, 
species like beavers came back and then lots of birds that haven't been seen them for decades and it just basically the ecology sort mm-hmm. of balanced each other just by introducing several wolves back into the system yeah and so all of these you know, all these species have these kind of very thoroughly well adapted little niches into which they fit and if you take any of them out then it starts to really perturb the network it's, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty- so i can see why in this context they'd insist on having all the things yeah it's pretty incredible and um I mean, the other, for example, influence of like f- removing, um, like against removing species is like, I mean, the ch- famous uh, Chinese, um, uh, like uh, hunger, where basically what happened was the um, the little sparrows were eating the you know the seeds from the like wheat or whatever. Oh yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. basically, there was a massive hunt on them, and literally the next year the biggest locust um um uh like wave Plague, ca- like swarm. basically yeah. went through the hall and just basically destroy like i don't know 78 or maybe 90 percent of all the crops and like it yeah. caused millions of die out of hunger it's like mm. this is this is example of things like like you know when when you try to fix one problem and then it just basically comes back at you with like a hammer and punches you in the face with it. Yep. No, you want to be careful of monocultures. Yeah. Because you get, and I mean, there's so many examples of this, like the, um, the Cavendish banana. Oh yeah. I think it was where it's like a clonal banana. All the bananas were this one, like very genetically similar banana. And And then it got a disease and it killed like all the bananas. and We had to switch. Yeah, isn't there now another fungus that only affects the Cavendish banana? And then basically, if if we if it continues spreading, basically by I don't know the next fifty years, I think our children will not know what banana is, basically, or at least the one we uh, used to know. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I think the Cavendish is basically already dead. Like you, you can't cultivate it because it just gets nobbled by whatever this thing is. And then I don't know if the the new strains they're using have the same problem. But, I think it's. Yeah. I think I heard something about it, and I think it might be actually affecting other strains as well. But mm. yeah, it's basically we may soon say goodbye to bananas because of it. Mm. Yep, that's why you need genetic diversity. It's pretty crazy. Like it's how a bit of. I mean, there are some things that humans have cultivated for generations, and it seemed to be fine. But like. Mm some things we just take over way too far and it just pushes it over um over the limit yeah yeah but anyway so um just returning to a couple of the other points in this uh-huh um so what do you think of the the situation with um kurt and gabriel so they seem to be being weaned off this drug well but there's still an interesting point there of, of just saying are they strong or are they unable to adapt i think in terms of um kurt is just unable to adapt that guy is just basically way too stubborn for anything mm. um but i think this is a good question but i think it gets answered next uh in the next chapter okay uh, i think Ga- uh, gabriel himself actually um explains why they're so resisting this whole situation 
Hmm. Um, okay. So I think I would wait to answer this question on a bit later. I want. I wonder what um, what would happen if they did make a like a canoe and tried to row down this river. I I just Where's imagine like being a conf- or elevate, uh, escalator or a conveyor belt, just like swimming down of it, and then suddenly just like pump hit the the wall, and then you're like. Where the river goes, and the river just basically like just goes down in the hole, and then just goes back again, you know, from the other side of the of the room. <laughs> yeah, like one of those um, uh, swimming pool things that's like a treadmill. It's just flow. Yes, basically. Pumped. Yeah. So <laughs> I just feel like that's basically what's gonna happen. You know, like like punk. It's like oh, yeah. The touch just is just wall. like basically the Truman Show. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's what I was mm. thinking. Like, uh, this is mm. basically the Truman Show. Yeah, this is very Truman Show-esque, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so they're gonna mm. be they're gonna have a lot of surprises when they try and is like, um, when they try to escape and they end up basically in this like a perfect dome that clo- encloses mm. them. Okay. Uh, so the conversation about the humans continues as as I mentioned. You know. Nikan says, there are so few of you. No one wants to give up on any of you. She had to think back to realize what it was talking about. Um, Some of us thought we should hold off bonding with you until you were brought here, it told her. Here, it would have been easier for you to band together, become a family. Uh, And this is where I sort of, I agree, because like this whole idea that they should be allowed to to get accustomed in this tropical rainforest instead of the cage, but mm-hmm. they now do see the you know positive of the cage because at least they had the opportunity to see the aliens first and then you know like but above the point. Yeah, well, I suppose it is also um, it would have been less dangerous in just like a physical environment sense to do this in you know a room yes. that's relatively controlled yes. than like if they freak out and run away from the Owen Kali in the jungle they could hurt themselves yeah absolutely you know there are some positives of this whole thing idea but i think like if the room had at least something to do hmm. that would i think change a lot of things but we yeah i think we've discussed this over you know over and over again that basically just closing people in a small environment uh for a prolonged period mm-hmm. of time is just asking for problems Without nothing yeah, to do. Yeah. Uh, taking the slightly longer game in the jungle environment, getting them um, sort of willing to come up and interact with the Oankali on their own terms might have been a bit more productive I guess, in the long run. I guess so. Like, you know, like tribes meeting basically, you know, like hmm. us and them and, you know, like exchange of gifts or something and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's got a much less coercive overtone than the way they did it in the room, right? They're not coming in and drugging everyone and kind of forcing everyone's hands, but rather, uh, and if they had a, a group of humans in this forest thing and they just sort of came up to them, you know, and you know, did what, like like we said, you know, exchange of gifts, kind of a bit, a bit like the way human tribes might have interacted with one another, right? Yeah. The, have that kind of uh, sense of equality, right? Uh, a sense of uh, choice. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you'd. Uh, yeah, I, 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 they would certainly take longer that way. 
yeah, I mean, it would take much longer to 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 mm. deal with the whole you know situation, getting them used, to, accustomed to Odon Kali. Um, but this is def- and you'd have the issue of um, like if they wanted to you know seduce the humans the way they seem to have done, it, they would have probably had more issues with like humans putting um stigma on one another yes yes for engaging with the onkali whereas this way they've all been subject to it so they can't judge each other and yeah yeah no this is the thing like the question about um this is the thing right this is the the answer of why they did the way they did it is because the chapter literally ends with nikan simply stating to to Lilith that some of the Onkali couldn't wait. And maybe it'd be mm. better for the Onkali and humans if the Onkali were not so strongly drawn to humans. Mm. I guess that that sort of attraction to the genetic variation and the code and genetic code of the humans is so attractive for them that basically they just couldn't stop mm. themselves doing the way they did it. Yep, I got a bit too impatient. Yes. Which is interesting mm. because it's finally mm. one of the other characteristics we find that like a sort of a negative characteristic on on Kali that um, they are making mistakes. Like Lilith was trying to catch them mm. on a lie or some mistake, but overall the yep. period we've seen, you know, the uh, Peter's uh, on Uloi uh, not noticing that Peter is, um, you know, doing what it was doing, and then basically Peter dying. Um, the yeah, whole yeah. cage situation. Um, the um, the idea of you know them being so attracted to humans that basically they can't, they're so impatient that basically they could the main situation with Lilith Which, with and Paul Titus. It's, it's, yes, it's very uh, sort of uncharacteristic for them for them to be impatient as well. Right? Yeah, I mean just, there were t- uh, Lilith was kind of in, in awe of their de- their like willingness to just outweigh her on just about anything. Exactly. Um, and yet. Here they're kind of, yeah, we couldn't wait. Yeah, it just it sounds very contradictory to what initially they were described as, I guess. Mm. Which is which I think uh, it's probably. Um, I mean, humans we're a very contradictory bunch as well, right? Just probably in a slightly different way absolutely. to the Oankali. So I think it, it kind of gives them um, it builds that sort of Xeno mind thing, right? They have their own set of difficult to understand contradictory motivations absolutely no you're absolutely right i think it's very i would say maybe it's more of like similar to humans but more in an extreme way if you think <clears> about it because when they were dealing with for example Chitaya and lilith right and the other <clears> humans like there was maybe there was only one human that could i outpatient the uh, don kali um as you know i think it was leah um, wasn't Gabriel? He was no. Gabriel was described um, as an actor. There was another. Well, there was one lady that was basically described as so patient, like not saying anything. Or, oh yeah. That basically, yeah. they you know, the Don Kali just give up because they couldn't just. Mm. She outpatient them. Um, yeah. Although Gabriel had kind of a different. You know, he he. They never figured out like who was the real him. Yes, because right? he, he was playing his parts. Yes. So he kind of outweighted them in the sense of he played a bunch of different roles until they gave up trying to figure him out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
No, you're yeah. absolutely right here as well. Um, so I think in terms of like, they may be like an extreme beings, but at the same time, they do have similar flaws to what humans have. Mm. Uh, but they just try to think that they're not as flawed, I would guess. Yep, yep. Which is also very human. Yes, which is very also very human. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, in this chapter, like sort of, it this is called next chapter. So it talks about the whole idea of um, why it's going to be a problem. Um, that they think so much that uh, about it, like they they think that they know what they're talking about, but the reality they don't. Um, but anyway, should we go to the chapter two prediction? Yeah, let's move on to the, to chapter two. So I think this is um. So now you know Lilith and Nikanj talk about the humans and what the problems were, and you know Nikanj explain the stuff. So I think this is the chapter two is going to be back to the, uh, back again with the humans, right? The, the whole idea, sort of um, the the issue with uh of Kurt and Gabriel arises, and there might be some resistance or trying to split away. I thought that maybe like some initial steps of um, of like resistance forming basically hmm. Hmm. okay yeah, yeah you're still uh big on this there will be a resistance oh yeah 200 percent. there's gonna <laughs> there's, if they're gonna break away because they're 100 percent gonna like literally live they can't you know they're all hmm. gonna try to break away and may build a boat or whatever and they hmm. will find like i mean the long-term prediction is basically they will find the edge of the room and be like oh no this is the truman show and they'll be like oh, okay and basically they realize that they're actually in fact trapped and that will okay. some of them will just give up on this whole idea and accept their fate but some people and i you know like kurt i guess they're so stubborn against it that basically they'll just become more and more aggressive and resistant to everything hmm. but anyway okay. that's that's a long uh, prediction we know that's for later let's go back to chapter two summary <laughs> yep <laughs> so we start with the chapter with um like the tools being f- uh, finally handed out things like waterproof tarpaulins machetes axes shovels hose metal pots ropes um hammocks baskets and mats and you know Lilith spoke privately with each odd, uh, with each of the most dangerous humans before they were given their tools um hmm. um yeah as so some of these guys I, I don't know if giving them axes and machetes yeah it's like it just seems... don't do something stupid i guess uh, this is what like for example happens you know what the first example we we're given is um lilith talking to kurt so we are told that actually mm. kurt and gabriel are finally off the drugs so they're on mm-hmm. their full sort of like normal sort of back to the original mental state and this is where mm-hmm. like where lilith goes to kurt and starts to talk to him as you know on the fact that he is needed. That's why she, you know, when they go to the under, that's why um, she woke him up and this, they need him mm. to survive and it's better for him not to go Peter's way. Um, yeah. But the only response she gets from him is just her, him staring at her without even saying anything. It's like... Yeah. Yeah, the I guy... Like, I'm going to set up a, a communal thing where we keep the axes of the machetes and there's going to be a sign out sheet and no one's allowed to take the axes Without of the machetes unless like everyone knows. Lockout. Yeah, basically <laughs> yeah. a safety yeah. lock. Yeah. Um, I just uh, yeah, I guess like isn't it like a very common trope 
in novels that you know in stories in general that like you do something like that right you lock those things away because you know that some people in your environment are just not to be trusted with them one either from the Mm. stupidity or two because something is wrong with them and then you at some point the characters the main characters just go you know, okay, you've been a good boy for a while. I will give you an axe. Go chop some of the wood. And then you end up with the guy missing with an axe in his hand and basically suddenly people, you know, disappearing with, like, their heads appearing somewhere in, you know, random places. (laughs) It's like, you can try that, but if there's something wrong with those people and you know, like... It's always it's something's gonna happen. It it feels like this in here, that yeah yeah it's one of those uh, apocalypse now deals, right? There's always somebody who goes nuts. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's just at this point I think like maybe not at this point, but once like some of those guys realize that they're actually trapped on a spaceship, hmm. it's going to hit them hard, and it's either gonna like break their souls, right? Or it's gonna fuel their rage and they're just gonna go on a full-on rampage. Just basically, you know, everyone is an open season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be uh, interesting to see how, how they react when they actually figure that out. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm scared, to be honest. Like, I generally am, like, I'm curious and I know that, like, stuff is gonna go down. I just wonder what will happen, you know, like... If it's gonna be a human to go down first or in, uh, on Kali, hmm. yeah. I said it seems like the the reality of this simulation kind of environment they're in. It's got it's got to be very impressive. In the, I mean, you'd think that they get a bit suspicious about the degree to which they're kind of constrained in a certain locality, right? There's like river and thick underbrush, kind of limiting how far they can get, and. I, uh, you know, I, I think I'd start to be a bit skeptical about the reality of the situation. Well, if, I mean, if it's like with certain constraints, if it looks like, for example, you know, in the area where you are, let's start, let's call it starting area, right? Mm-hmm. And the environment around is like, do you have some fruit bushes? You have some trees? You know, you do this? You know, everything is like in a quite controlled manner. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you allow humans to go a bit of traveling. It's like, oh, there's a river. It's quite heavy bushes. We ha- don't have the tools yet to go through those bushes without, you know, hurting ourselves. Hmm, it's fun. So it looks like a barrier. You give them machetes. Oh, now we have the method to get out of the bar, you know, to get, chop the mm. barrier down. There's the river. Yep. And then, like, you know, they will push uh-huh. that boundary more and more but like at some it just seems very convenient yes yes it's like very convenient like you know it's like a basically a progression in a game you know like you start in the Mm. starting area easy level you go to the river it's a medium and then you try to cross the river and go Mm. on the other side which is like heavy bush or whatever right this is like the hard difficulty Mm. level area Right? Yeah, you just you swim to the middle of the river and you hit the world boundary and it's just like an invisible wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just basically an invisible wall and it's just like, oh, okay, cool. That's, that's not where I can go. And then you try basically squish yourself you know, outside the boundary because, you know, hmm. because you want yeah, to. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of, my suspicion is why have they not like fit, cottoned on to the fact that there are world boundaries and been like, you know, that's suspicious. But I mean, I can see how you would like, 
delude yourself into not thinking it if you didn't want to believe it. I mean, you know, I can imagine in their situation is that you are so preoccupied with the fact that you're finally so out, right? It feels Mm. like Earth. I would also be like, well, it's a jungle. What do you expect, right? You know, unless you literally like walk around and it's like a circle of like bushes and you're like the river is encircling like in a perfect island and you're Mm. like, oh, okay, this feels like um why is the river you know circulating in in, in the, the perfect in the, yeah so that's that like, like oh okay that makes sense that it's not that feels like an actual barrier to prevent us to go anywhere but if it's like you mm-hmm. know like a room where basically you have a river going from you know like splitting in you know, like a delta right mm-hmm. and basically you have you know you can try to go the other side on the other side you have like very thick bushes and trees it feels more natural i would say yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it would have to be pretty big. Yes, it would have to be really big for it to like to feel uh, convincing. Yes. But then again, we know the mm. ship is massive, and I guess I can True. it can grow as well. So I guess whatever room they've prepared for the forty or so humans, um, hmm. that room will be has to be pretty big to accommodate everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That actually, it occurred to me the other day that. If they're using spin gravity mm-hmm. in this spaceship, yeah. that uh, since they've had water this whole time in the room, they could have checked to see if there was a Coriolis effect. Even if it's like a relatively small one, they might be able to pick up on it because they just you know, set up a water dropper and kind of measure if it's deviating from the a straight fall. Then they'd be able to figure out that there's spin gravity. I mean, so, in I mean, a way, it doesn't prove anything if it's not there because it might just be a really small effect. But yeah, I th- if it is, it- yes, I, I yes, I agree. But at the same time, if you don't look, if it's so small, like depending on the size of the ship and how mm. like the spin, how fast the spin, as you mentioned, maybe it's so negligible, also too small to like. You'd have to actually measure it. But like, because yeah. things like this usually would take some time to notice with an a- naked eye, right? Mm. And it depends of like how yeah, yeah. how big is the ship. What if the ship is so massive it actually has its own core, let's say dense core, that basically allows it to go straight down, right? It just feels like. Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying it would. Um, I'm not saying not finding the Coriolis effect would be like strong evidence that you weren't on a spaceship mm-hmm. but finding it in a measurable size would be strong evidence that you were yes yes i i agree on right. that i just think like yeah. that it would be difficult to initially unless you are like you know unless you thought about it beforehand if somebody oh you're on a spaceship oh, okay if that's the case what's the gravity how's the gravity form right is there a sort of like a full sort of sent you know new um core sort of creating the uh, false gravity that basically leads to that core. Or is it like a spinning signal? It's, you know, the ideas would be there, but like, mm-hmm. you know, to test yeah, them. Yeah, you, it, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think it eventually dawned on me, if, you know, especially if I was actually, you know, paying attention to this problem of like, okay, I'm on, I might be on a spaceship. What can I do that might contribute information to answering that question one of the obvious things would be to check if if i could detect spin gravity 
I would also look for if the gravity is the same, the strength of the gravity is the same as it on Earth. Because, I mean, no matter how big the ship is, like, unless they have really ways to manipulate the strength of the gravity formed, um, <clears throat> you would have to have gravities like the um, uh, strength, the same as, you know, the uh, 10 meters squared, per, uh, 10 meters per second squared, so, you know, equivalent <clears throat> of that on the ship. Because then yep. you would feel either lighter, much lighter than you would um, that you would feel on Earth, and things like that. Maybe mm-hmm. water balance. I don't know, st- like the level or something like things like that. I would say would be good indications of there's something off. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, what I wonder what other things we could actually look into to to feel like if if we are on a spaceship or not. I mean, there's not that much you can like check easily. I mean, it's kind of the like one of the things with relativity, right? Is you can't tell how fast you're going for the most part without some frame of reference. Yeah. It's yeah, hmm. it's a tricky, tricky thing. Like if you're in a box, how do you figure out some of this stuff? Hmm. Especially yeah. with the artificial light and everything, you can't really you can't see this. I mean, like hmm. if you could see this, you know, this into space, that would be probably the best indication. But um, yeah, unless I don't know, unless they do something like this that when it gets dark. Right when the night time comes, the mm. stars on the sky are sort of mimicking what the sky sort of is outside the ship. And for example, if you see yeah, some of the yeah. stars moving faster than they should, mm. maybe. But I mean, there's not there's not that much you can check as easily as you could a Coriolis effect, right? Because I mean, if you want to do something with with like light or electromagnetism, you might need some either magnetic field strength detector or um, like a radiation detector or something to look for different... I mean, you couldn't... um, I mean, if... Yeah. Solar radiation stuff. You have to have like, maybe try to make a small compass. Like, you know, like those... Oh, yeah, yeah. um, Yeah. You know, a ball, a bit of like something, like a leaf, and then a bit of... uh, I don't know, a bit of magnetic material that can, you know, you can mag- a needle something magnetize and then um, try to see where the north is, if it actually even shows the well, north or it's just going to rotate like crazy, but you'd have to have something to magnetize mm-hmm. that little needle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose that, that would tell you if, well, if there was no directional magnetic field, I suppose that might tell you something. But then again, you also have the uncertainty if you've been like in suspended animation for an unknown period of time and there's been like a cataclysmic event on Earth, so the magnetic field could be screwed up anyway. I mean, that happens sometimes, right? You get inversions in the pole. Yeah, but it still would point, you know, like the needle would point like at the direction, right? You would have a north and south. Not necessarily. Because no? sometimes, I mean, there have been occasions when the field's been like sufficiently weird that you wouldn't get a clear north or south point from a compass okay. but yeah so um, i mean you, you could say that there isn't an unusual earth magnetic field i suppose um if it wasn't pointing in a specific direction but that wouldn't necessarily tell you that much i suppose but if we, right? if, i mean you could just be on the poles yeah but if we had enough sort of like the coliosis effect and then the mag and the the little uh compass and I mean, there are a few things that they all added up. 
maybe hmm. i don't know it, it'll be something it'd be interesting to find it uh, yourself in such an environment and try to figure out what is really happening because i mean if the sky above you like for example it's just dark and there's nothing on it then it's hmm. like oh okay if there's some stars in there like can you even you know can you identify the most you no know, common ones like you no know, um, I think you know the north, like in the north, the the great uh, uh, the Ursula Major is that uh, Ursula? Uh, what's what's thing? Ursula yeah. Major, yeah, and one of the um, constellations. And then in the south is like I think the Great Cross, if I remember correctly. The the stars, like you know, things like this, right? If you if you mm-hmm. had the knowledge, right? I'm sure out of the forty yeah, you'd people, yeah, have to know a little astronomy. If if you out of the forty people out there, I'm sure somebody would know a bit about this right and they combined they could sort of mm. figure it out right if you see more stars if they're moving too fast okay there's something wrong if they're not moving at all right like there's no change in the sky at all like that's also a bit indication right it's yeah and actually you could you could also try and if you had a, a or you could make a spectrograph you could check for the um the spectral lines from the light from the stars, see if you're actually getting what looks like. How would you go about doing confusion. that, though? Yeah, yeah. That's. The, I mean, actually making something that would have like a narrow enough split to to do that would be tricky because you you need like a I can't remember how big, big the slot exactly is, but you need a very precisely sized narrow gap to to, to split the light. Yeah, this is the yeah, thing. Like yeah. you'd have to. I mean. Joseph and there was a engineer, an engineer, so I guess it would um, hmm. maybe he would know exactly the dimensions of such thing. But like, if you find yourself in a jungle or in a spaceship and you have to survive and you see aliens, I think that'll be the last thing to think about, like trying to find, check the spectral lines of the stars if the light is actually matching yeah. what you know. And also, you'd have to remember like what the spectral <laughs> lines are, for example, for hydrogen or something, you know, like for. Yeah, exactly. That's. No. Although I think there's a relatively distinctive, there's kind of like this little two bands in the. Uh, you know, if if, exactly. if you check, like I mean, if but, we check afterwards, you know, it'd be easy to find to remember, mm. right? But like on the spot, yeah, yeah. I think it'd be hard to to remember yeah, the stuff. It's tricky. But I think that, that's kind of why I went to the Coriolis one as an obvious one because it's kind of it's a relatively straightforward thing to check, right? If you can just set up some water flowing smoothly and straight down. Mm-hmm. You can check if that's deviating from a straight line. You know what? With like a pouring water in a piece of string. You know what'll be a, also a, a good uh, try, right? Mm-hmm. Um, checking the curvature because of the yes, horizon. Because uh, mm-hmm. one of the horizon and two, you could also do the experiment where often flat earthers deny, but they're too stupid to actually uh, accept what they're seeing. Is that when you have a light? And at certain distance, mm-hmm. you can you have to lift your hands up with the light to actually see the light because the curvature of the um, of the planet um, requires mm-hmm. you to move it. I think like several like a meter and a bit because you will mm-hmm. like you have slots right like uh, you make little slots like wooden let's say uh, holes and you shine the light through it mm-hmm. and at some point you actually have to like lift the light up to actually you know to make the straight line otherwise you know the curvature of the earth stops it to uh yeah yeah well i mean i suppose it's quite tricky with whatever the local topography is and you need a long enough distance 
to do it I well. I think you have to have... I, I don't remember the details, but I think a kilometer, uh, if you were really, really bound on try, trying to test this, I think a kilometer is enough, I, I think... Um, I'll have hmm. to check the details, but I think that'd be enough for you to, to sort of prove that if the curvature is not like the, the distance, like you have to do measure, right? That would perf- tell you perfectly if you are still on earth or not. Unless, because okay. the curvature would have to be really matching the, the planets. Hmm. I don't know if you would, but presumably the, like the, the ground level would be relevant to this measurement, right? You need you need quite precise information about elevation in order to do that accurately, um, right? You know, I'd have to t- check the exactities. I think it would affect it, of course, because if you're on a hill and mm. that would also affect, but I think yeah. if you have enough ground, uh, like flat ground, that should be enough to for you to be able to determine, uh, de- determine mm. this. Um, so I think we came up with several, a few good ideas here to, um, yeah, there's a few methods. Yeah. Yep. So if mm. anybody listening to us, if you ever get stuck in a spaceship, there you go. You know now how to, uh, test this stuff. <laughs> a few things to yeah, try. Yeah, a few things to try. <laughs> I mean, you know, except for the aliens, you know, talking to you, like, you know, I think that should be a, a good enough reason, but in case you're still yeah, skeptical. The, the presence of the aliens is... Bit of a giveaway. Yeah. So let's go back from that massive tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think a useful one. I think one. it's probably like yeah, really useful one and spot one, yeah. Um, mm. So we where were we? Um, we were talking about like, um, ah, yeah, Kurt not responding to her at all mm. after she warned him not to behave like, you know, Peter. And this mm. is where war, like worried Lilith tells Nikanj to put him back to sleep and not to give him any weapons because he will either hurt some himself or someone. But Nikanj responds mm. that Yahjai Hai Yahjai Yahja Yahjai Yahjai maybe Kurtz yeah. Uloi thinks he'll be alright. On the other hand, Lilith says that you know as if with the, what if what um does peter always thing uh always thing and mm-hmm. he it says it never told anyone what it thought as a result no one realized it was in trouble incredible behavior i said it would be better if we weren't so drawn to you so it seems that the whole incident with peter was mm-hmm. also because the Oli was so infatuated with it it's just like it didn't say anything mm-hmm. to the yeah, other it wasn't, uh, sharing what it was experiencing with the other Uloi. Yeah. To get a you know, a clue that there might be a trouble. Yeah. Uh, source of trouble. Yeah. So and the conversation continues on uh with Lily thinking that the Onkali are deluding themselves about Kurt, but Nikan says that Celine lol, Celine, will help Kurt go through the dangerous time he's going through now. Like I mean, come on, Celine. I mean Nikan says that she's <laughs> stronger than Kurt thinks she is. I don't think so. She's just like a little... Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I could certainly see her being more resilient than Kurt thinks she is because uh, that I mean, seemed to fit with what we she know. She survived so Kurt. long, so... Hmm. But, you know, but, who knows? Yeah. Maybe, That's, you know, maybe she's um, strong enough. But, like, the fact that Lilith matched them together was much better co- uh, compared to Peter and Jean... But to which Lilith responds, yeah, like fire and gasoline, basically. <laughs> and I just had this question yeah. here, like, 
they don't really know what gasoline is. Like, do they ever they use even the equivalent of fossil fuels? I mean, probably not for, like, multiple millennia, if not considerably longer. Yeah, I mean, like, like they probably, probably know, again, years. because of the humans who are using fossil fuels. But, like, before that, hmm. would they know what it is? Like... Yeah. I mean, yeah, they've got the records. They've, they've done their reading. I guess, maybe. I just thought it was an interesting like thing to say, and mm. I just this question immediately popped into my head. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those um, like idiomatic phrases that doesn't necessarily translate well in another yeah. language. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, like fire and uh, yeah, fire and gasoline, because it makes sense because it just fuels it. But yeah, anyway. Mm. Um, and this is where Gabriel comes in, like the saying that they won't be all right. And this is like I think the biggest premonition of this whole chapter, like this whole book, right? What's gonna happen? And mm -hmm. this is the direct quote from the book. Look at things from Kurt's point of view, Gabriel said. He's not in control even of what his own body does and feels. He's taking like a woman and no, don't explain. He held up his hand to stop her from interrupting. He knows the Uloi aren't male. He knows all the sex that goes on is in his head. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. Someone else is pushing all his buttons. He can't let them get away with that. Honestly frightened, Lilith asks, How have you made your peace with it? Who says I have? She stared at him. Gabe, we can't lose you too. And then Gabriel proceeds to tell her that he won't know until he knows where he is like he know how he mm. he feels about until he know whether it's an alien ship or earth and the chapter ends basically with a warning from gabriel and response from lilith that he shouldn't put tate in a position where another guy will be given to her as a mate you know like that's the same situation with um jean where basically she's being given another person like wiped her memory so mm. i think what gabriel said is very on spot and I think it's not only what he feels, but also what Gabriel feels, right? They, they basically, it this whole interaction with the alien is basically like, you know, just caricatures of aliens basically kidnapping people and anal probing them. Like that basically it feels that they are being raped and it doesn't mm. matter if it all happens in his head. It all happens against sort of his, uh, his will in a way. Yeah, it's still perceived as a as a violation which it, it, yeah, it is yeah. and this i think this is the reason why kurt will go insane by the mm. time when they escape they're go because at some point they're gonna break away from the whole group and they're just trying to travel away they will find that mm -hmm. that they cannot escape and that will be like the, the the tipping point for of the domino effect it's gonna be a domino effect basically mm. Yeah, he just he can't handle it. He's uh, you know got got to do something. Yeah. He can't sort of take all this lying down. His psyche will just break, and then basically yeah. it'll be like we, you'll hear the glass shattering, basically. Hmm. So I I think this is this whole conversation. You know, like he's not in control even of what his own body does and feels. He's taking like a woman, and it's it you know like. Basically, Gabriel described what in many situations, like a lot of women feel, you know, it's during wars, like when they're like, you know, violated. 
That's basically what mm. it is. It's just a violation of the basic basic human rights in a way that it doesn't even they it may feel great because we know that you know Joseph said he it was like a drug if you could bottle up it will be like a drug mm. but it's against them and let's be honest it's 1950s america's americans um well sexism mm. and racism wasn't on this greatest point you know maybe not the greatest point but like it just it was really you know so mm. I, I, I yeah that's a, I, I can definitely um see why um this is going to be a problem especially no like just imagine i mean in general like for men right this whole situation like being violated like that is a massive stigma anyway i mean for everyone but mm. like from a male perspective, in the in the perspective where it's still in society, men have to be like the sort of strong, you know, support, you know, like manly, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's um kind of more inconsistent with the role assigned. Yeah. By the societal and, norms, but especially yeah. like mm-hmm. the 1950s men. When any sort of mm. behavior, like if it was a bit of feminine, and they were like basically, you know, you know, called a woman, right? For that sort yeah, of situation, yeah. like that time, be like social situation, it was for some men it was absolutely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. So I can feel that this whole idea because i feel like this this whole idea i mean we need to remember that this was written in the times where um on the times where you know a lot of things were still very very embedded in the society especially in american society it it will push him hard it's pushing him hard to the uh, tipping point oh yeah and i think well i mean it's uh it's not an unreasonable thing to push you beyond your breaking point, right? It's something that it would it makes sense that would push you, but it also makes sense specifically that his kind of his character, his perception would respond particularly badly. Oh yeah, to this. especially yeah, yeah, um, yeah. especially yeah. his character as well. Hmm. Yeah. No, I I just feel like this is this is one thing that um the big problem Don Kali don't understand. This whole concept that whatever you know, like they're so attracted to it, and you know, and they kind of said that if it would be better if they weren't so attracted to humans. And mm. this idea, I think, is what makes them blind to see there's a lot of things that they don't understand about human culture, because you know, as many yeah. the humans survived uh, from you know the cataclysm, a lot of mm. them are only just a bit. A small part of like you only get for a few humans per society right in some societies are probably mm. completely gone now some have survived but basically those are only like small parts of the um remains remainings of the culture right mm. i have different view on let's say british culture to you richard and if we were the only you mm. know survivors of that culture it would be very skewed Oh yeah. So yeah. any individual's perspective on their broader culture yeah. would only be a snapshot of the whole. Exactly. Right? So whatever the mm. Onkali have learned, 
would not be sufficient to understand the small intrinsic, like intrinquit, um, mm-hmm. um, little small details and, uh, especially of it. Things like um, kind of uh, you know, the sexual mores of a, a population and a culture would be something that, I mean, it's not necessarily something we write a lot about, or certainly we did. We used to write less about it than we yes. do now, even because it was it's kind of a taboo subject. I mean, you know, so trying to pick up on the subtleties of that, especially from an alien perspective, that has a very different attitude towards this stuff. I, yeah, it would be very difficult to bridge. Absolutely, that gap. I mean, sexuality in general is such a difficult topic from the not even talking about like personal sexuality it's just like even looking at what do we find attractive right and mm. what you think is attractive is completely different to what i think is attractive for example or we can have some similarities mm. but it doesn't mean anything because you find someone else and their view on attractiveness is completely different right so and mm. if like an octopus looking at uh, alien right that we know it's like a third male it's a third sorry um mm. s- uh, s- gender but like mm. it makes no sense in our minds because we are we only we are binary right we have mostly yeah I mean, we have but, a but few but that comes intersex but that comes down to the fact from the from the purely biological perspective right 99% of the population is binary and that comes oh, yeah. f- to the fact because it's that that's the way we evolved it, except for that there are some social you know there's you know co- problems you know the is- issues associated with like um society mental you know it's it's all very uh intri- like very complicated but from the very biological mm. by pure perspective there's only two sexes on on the planet and imagine third like Especially from by the people, we do have from the perspective from the super biologically rare, like hermaphroditic. No, 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 no. But yeah, uh, I know. But from what I'm saying is that I just culturally, yeah, for the most part. Although there was, um, uh, in India, there was quite a uh, there was a particular culture in India that had quite a broad acceptance of like a third gender. I mean, I, I, we've talked about this before. There's like another, yeah, um, yeah. in some, I think Hawaii, um, another like a third gender, literally in growing mm. into the, um, um, society. But that's not what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. here it's more of like, especially from the perspective of those people who are like basically, you know, collecting from 1950s or whatever, right? There's yeah, yeah. So certainly, from the cultural background of like kind of nineteen fifties kind of era America and so on, you know, anywhere that's come out of a kind of Western Christian tradition has that exactly sort of background of you know one man, one woman type exactly. attitude. And the thing is, and often uh, yeah, yeah. more not like a perspective on a person who was not feeling the you know either man, man or a woman. Often mm-hmm. they yeah, were like disorienting, yes, and also they were mistreated, right? So, for Kurt's oh, yeah. perspective, I feel like his feeling is that mm. he's basically, um, it doesn't matter if it's like a third gender or sex, whatever you word mm. you want to use, it's he's being basically like taking like a woman, right? Like, basically, he's not 
treated as a man. A man should be taken, right? This is from his perspective, right? At the t- from those his time. Indeed. So yeah. this is this is a and this is a problem still nowadays. Like basically, and a lot of people have this very strong identity of like. Um, of how they feel about certain things, right? And so, and even, mm. you know, like, and this is a big problem. And I think this is what really is the biggest pushing point for Kurt. And a lot of people, I think, mm. in that mm. group as well. That, you know, like, for example, yeah, yeah. they have pet, right? They have pet from a woman's perspective, right? They have already, you know, met, you know, their partners, right? That they, they try to survive with. Right, and now there's a third <laughs> alien coming through. Like it also feels like a violation. It just feels violation for all of them. So, mm. I, I, I just yeah. feel like this is a very from from the from Miss uh, Octavia Butler that this whole idea, like it really when you sit down and think about it from the perspective when it was mm. written, from the perspective of the character mm. setup, from the perspective of um, nowadays. It's a topic mm. that you can tell that no, like a lot of people would not be fine with, and doesn't matter like oh, yeah. it doesn't yeah, matter yeah, like yeah, how tolerant you are or you know how acceptable or very things. There are certain things that people, because the way they've grown up and the the way the their cultures and their backgrounds, it still mm. feels like a violation no matter what you look at it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's very much so. I mean that. Like we're 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 still very much in that cultural um, uh, situation, right? We've not kind of grown beyond it now, and I think it, I mean it's all complicated by the the, nat- the sort of coercive nature of the way that it's going on with the with the Oankali, yeah. right? Because they're they're insinuating themselves in here against the will of the other participants, so that complicates it because it's not um, like uh, I mean it, if they were you know, inviting the humans to participate in this rather than forcing it on them, then it would be a uh, different. But uh, you mentioned that have a very area, different dynamic. It would cause another stigma because those 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 Indeed. humans that actually yeah. allowed themselves in and they felt like, wow, this is mm-hmm. amazing. And then those against that basically mm-hmm. would call them basically dirty and you know, like I don't know, alien fuckers or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a sort of. Um, sexual deviant thing where they'd be stigmatized yeah. and who's that like I mean, we still have that um just like the adult entertainment industry right you go into the adult entertainment industry it's very difficult to go into anything else absolutely and there's a lot of stigma associated with it and it and a lot of um like you know if, if you work in that industry you can't get banks and payment processing and it's, it's treated as kind of uh, like close to criminal activity even when it's not criminalized in certain places right so it's a we have that persistent issue yeah i think you know it's 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 a very interesting topic i think from this book really touches on things that pers- you may not think about until you actually sit down and um mm. you know discuss this with someone or at least think about it and then have a conversation with someone mm. um yeah yeah i think it, it's it's very good writing and deliberate i think because it, it's it's it intends in having this third sex slash third gender in 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 the case of the uloid is kind of both of those things um because they have Know, different social roles and different biology 
and having the the coercive element of that relationship and just all of those you know it's an alien human thing so it's a contamination stuff it, it brings together all of these things that are just geared to kind of weird out the individuals in this scenario right it's sort of contrived to produce that that kind of questioning yeah. that kind of debate it's a very good um uh, as like i said it's an excellent choice of properties to bring together to make this murky and difficult yeah. um which is yeah it's very well done um not something you see explored that no actually in sci-fi i mean a interesting. few i was just things. trying to think of like just as you're talking i was thinking like what about Star Wars? Like, I mean, you, in the movies, you often see, like, you know, aliens mingling with each other, like, you know, especially twi- mm. Twi'leks, you know, like, everybody's hot in Twi'leks. Uh, and, like, <laughs> it always feels to me like, is there no stigma against it? Like, do, do some of the species find them attractive? Or is it just because, like, yeah. you know, we humans find them attractive because they look human? And But, like, mm. the question is, is it really... Um, yeah, it's kind of an underexplored topic, right? It gets brought up just sort of in the background, but it doesn't. People don't get into a fan the, the nitty gritty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other places where that's. Um, I think in some of the follow-ups to Ringworld, there's a thing with um, a bunch of the Ringworld inhabitants crossbreeding. Okay. It's it's really a I think it's a difficult topic to explore from the sheer fact from that one it's difficult to write about it I mean you have to be good at writing stuff first of all because I feel like it would easily jump into sort of like the Fifty Shades of Grey sort of style thing that basically makes you a sexual deviant basically you know like um. But at the same time, like, I mean, that's a bit extreme, you know, because it basically is a book about sex. Uh, and that's the only reason why people read it. But the fact is that um, to discuss the problems that will arise from it, but those problems wouldn't be that difficult mm-hmm. to explore. Because, I mean, there's still a lot of stigma with people in societies. Like if they, for example, uh, a Western uh, people... Uh, you know, marrying or, you know, having children with people from Africa or from Asia, right? From Euro-America. It's just, there's still some, you know, a lot of people who find it like, you know, the whole purity thing, right? So the whole topic, the whole problems that are with that would still be translatable, right? But I feel like Mm it would be even more extreme in this fact. Hmm. Yeah, because it's uh, even more alien to the yeah. culture right so i yeah. feel like it's mm-hmm. it i mean the way anyway it would be basically like this plus times i don't know how much um <laughs> i don't know it just feels to me like this is yeah. a, it's a topic that should be more explored a lot of it should be more discussed a lot of things should be talked about um from perspective of a lot of you know experts actually talking about discussing and coming to conclusions that basically benefit everyone so that every like th- th- there is a proper you know conversation about it instead of stigmatizing it still or like basically if mm. you if you're against this should... if you're saying one thing you're against that if you're saying the other thing you're against that but you can't really find never middle ground because everybody just feels that if you say one thing it's their mm. side if you say the other thing you're against them it's just like 
Yeah, I think that's one of the advantages of exploring it in a, a medium like this, where it's sci-fi, yeah, right? You can kind of detach from the specifics. I think I said yes, something you said. similar you have said several before, episodes yeah. back, right? Where you've got, yeah, you can have that kind of distance from it that it's hard to get when you talk about the specifics of it in a more real-world context. Yeah. Mm. So I think maybe it'd be a good point here to mention the next episode. Um, hmm. So yes. we had an idea to... Uh, our next episode will be a bit special because we'll move away from the book um, and talk about um, the sort of this, this dystopian cyberpunk. Uh, and that's brought by because the fact is that recently Cyberpunk 2077 came out. And I think this whole idea of this dystopian, in my view, this dystopian, um, you know, um, world where people modified themselves and, you know, the corp- great, you know, corporations rule the world is not that far in some countries, <laughs> I would say. So I... Th- and oh, I yes. feel like yeah. this is pretty much where, at the moment, from my perspective, the world is aiming towards. So I think it'd be very interesting um, to discuss not the game, because that's what we're not really doing, uh, at least for now, hmm. but more of the, um, the history, the background of what cyberpunk is, and focus more on the science, what is possible, what is not possible. Yeah, I suppose the the tie-in here is that we have this this world of biological modification, yes. right? We have these aliens that are capable of doing bioengineering, yes, yes. and uh, you know, you're, uh, you kind of suggested this idea from from you know, cued by the launch of Cyberpunk 2077. It would be a good idea to to discuss a little bit more about how close to some of these possibilities either through the kind of genetic engineering side or the cybernetic yes, absolutely. type stuff that you see in this context and kind of the sociological implications of that upcoming technological capability what that is so um yeah so i think um next episode will feature some discussion of of those uh those things and well uh, like the plan the one of things is not to cover the the next couple of chapters in that um we'll try to we need to prepare for this though because this topic is very mm. um broad in a way i think in cyberpunk yes. it's mostly about the cybernetic modifications so we need to do some reading on mm. that um but the fact is that there are some things like biohacking nowadays that happens it's very primitive but it's still something mm. that it needs to be you know raised and i feel like the whole idea of cyberpunk like in general is pretty fascinating because mm-hmm. it's it's one of those mm-hmm. uh, like um sci-fi worlds that um is quite i think it's what we are aiming at in a way yes so that's hmm. something that is um like the the sorts of technologies we see there are something that are probably fairly likely in the future timeline like some of those things some of those kind of cybernetic organizations i don't think that we will reach that level in by 2077 that there is in the game but i feel like hmm. we will be getting there quite fast so i think 
yeah, it's hard, hard it's, to say. It's hard to say with the technology, the but we are. often overestimate technology <laughs> progress as well in as mm. humanity, humanity as a whole. So yeah, we usually both underestimate yeah. and overestimate it. Is that we think some things will go a lot further, but then we hit some limit condition, and we think nothing of other things and they go a lot a lot faster yeah. than expected so i think yeah so the next episode will be a bit special and i hope that everyone will forgive us that we'll move away from the book um but i think it's it's a quite fascinating topic and uh maybe at some point we will discuss the game itself um but that would require i don't know probably 120 hours of our lives just uh, dedicated to playing the <laughs> game and yeah and I need yeah a new, rig. new rig for that and maybe my will handle it but um it just in general it would take some time before we can even discuss this idea but i think we probably would leave it for other people who are more already on ball of reviewing the game so we are we'll focus more on the science behind it and the history and the implications of that culture i would say yes and one of the things i'll be bringing up i think is something that is not often talked about very much in the context of these things which is the software that runs on all these you know devices what? that is a that will great idea in your body that is great because yeah like if you're not aware of how much of a shit show the internet of things <laughs> is from many oh, perspectives yeah. you're on spot yeah. once you've put that in your body you uh, uh like if you haven't thought about it um you know follow along with us thinking about it so you can be appropriately yes horrified. yes i think there'll be great sort of um a wake-up call for people who think like elon musk the you know the whole uh, neurochip in their brain like you would want to wait with that yeah do you really want elon musk to have access to yeah, your thoughts exactly so let, I hope everyone can wait until next uh, next episode about this because there's gonna be a, a lot of things to discuss, um, and mm. probably the episode is going to be quite long. Um, uh, quite yeah, possibly. So, <laughs> yeah, bit of a departure yeah. from our usual thing. Uh, but, but I um, think it'll be quite yeah, worth we'll be doing it because um, it's it, it's it's on it's on topic to be honest. Yes, I think it is. It's very relevant to the sorts of things that we discuss yeah. in the context of this book. Yeah. So, mm. with that, okay, I'm just gonna quick go through my chapter three prediction and let's finish off. Oh, so yes. I just think that basically in chapter three we'll start seeing the training happening and the first humans starting to break away, like starting to try, okay. you know, having the having the tools. They will try to fight through the river and then try to, uh, you know. Um, this time the rebellion yeah, this will is the, yeah time for the rebellion <laughs> to take place <laughs> okay, right then. then everyone thank you very much for listening uh, we were Xenothesis you can find all our previous episode on Xenothesis.com and also all other places where we actually upload those episodes are all there I was Michael Glinka I was Rich Langton bye goodbye